We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 519 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Jim Hilton, and on Monday, October 30th, so two days after El Clasico, is believed that Lionel Messi will win another Ballon d'Or, and that Tata Banmani will win her first. But because I looked at the calendar and looked ahead with El Clasico, I know we're going to be a bit busy probably talking about that match, but I've only covered the Ballon d'Or that much in the past, and with El Clasico to talk about, it might kind of get skipped. So instead... We have a little bit of time today right before action gets started again, so we're going to do a little athletic club preview at the end, but I do want to talk about the history of FC Barcelona and the Ballon d'Or. Maybe give us a little practice and feel like we're talking about football again before the club stuff gets started again for Barcelona this weekend. The Ballon d'Or is the biggest individual award in world football, and I don't really want to waste too much time waxing poetic about how difficult it is to remove bias and trust voters to correctly choose without their own bias who the best football player was from the previous year. And even that was actually changed in 2022 to reflect the previous football season, not the previous calendar year. Picking an individual player in a team sport is always going to feel like a popularity contest made for goal scorers, with the greatest emphasis being in the games with the largest number of eyes on it. Yet, since it first came about in 1956, thought up by two French journalists at L'Equipe, Gabriel Hanot and Jacques Ferrand, it still carries with it the merits of some correctness. But looking back through the years, there are more asterisks and but wells than you can count, beginning with the parameters for the award for so much of its history. From 1956 to 2006, the Ballon d'Or was voted on by football journalists, before the voting base was expanded to coaches and captains of national teams. But the biggest but is that the award was only for players from Europe up until 1995. Then in 1995, the year that George Weah of Liberia and club AC Milan won the award, the field was expanded to include players from anywhere, but still played for European clubs. In 2007, the Ballon d'Or again expanded, now to all footballers in any league, though the voting is now limited to the top 100 countries in the FIFA World Ranking. In 2016, when the Ballon d'Or turned 60, France Football did a re-evaluation of the awards that were handed out before 1995 to include non-European players. And unsurprisingly, they found that 12 out of the 39 Ballon d'Ors from 1956 to 1994 would have been given to South Americans instead, which would have affected some of what we're going to talk about today. In retrospect... Pelé would have won seven awards, taking them from Raymond Copa in 1958, Alfredo De Stefano II in 1959, Spanish Luis Suarez in 1960, Omar Savori in 1961, Lev Yashin in 1963, 
Dennis Law in 1964, and Jared Muller in 1970. Grinka would have won Jose Massaputs in 1962. Mario Kempis would have gotten Kevin Keegan's in 1978. Diego Maradona would have gotten Igor Belenovs in 1986. And Lothar Matis in 1990. And one to hold on to for later, they would have given the 1994 Ballon d'Or to Barcelona's Romario instead of his Bogana teammate, Riso Stoiskov. The South American Footballer of the Year Award began in 1971 to honor the best footballer playing in South America over the previous calendar year, but it only included South Americans playing in Europe unofficially from 1986 to 1992, which further complicates any consistency through the years when things are always changing. At this point, you're probably quite a bit bored about all this preamble, and I'm with you. Friend of the podcast, Luis Mazariego, summed it up pretty nicely recently when he said he doesn't really think that the Ballon d'Or matters, but it means a lot to the average personal casual fan, so it matters how people perceive players. So for that reason, he cares, and I completely agree with him. For that reason, as someone who talks a lot about history and legacies, these awards go a long way in how these players get remembered. Though for the people who follow my podcast and watch along on my YouTube channel, I do find that so many of my regular listeners and followers actually don't care too much about this Ballon d'Or content either. So this is kind of a weird amalgamation of the history stuff, which not everybody on the YouTube channel really cares about, or the podcast network as well. So the history stuff kind of lose some people. And the Ballon d'Or stuff definitely, again, my followers don't really care too much as, we'll say the casual fan. But again, that's why you're listening to me. I find that many of you are not just casual fans. Last little tidbit before we jump headfirst into the Barca part of this. I want to go all the way back to those two French journalists I mentioned earlier, Gabriel Hanot and Jacques Ferrand. I just want to mention that they are also credited with coming up with the European Cup, aka the Champions League, and Hanot is also credited with helping organize the first professional league in France in 1932, now known as Ligue 1. It's a reminder of the ecosystem of football that requires everybody, the fans, the players, the coaches, and the media, and while generally unfortunate, also the men with the deep, deep pockets, though their involvement can be hotly debated. 14 times up to this point, a Barcelona player has lifted the Ballon d'Or, counting the two from Alexia Buteus on the women's side. And let's talk about that history now. The first name to mention is Luis Suarez, the Spanish midfielder nicknamed the Architect, who just passed away in July at the age of 88. It's quite remarkable that aside from Alexia on the women's side, who is also the only Catalan to ever win the award, Luis Suarez is still the only Spanish-born player to win the Ballon d'Or. And that is an important distinction because Alfredo de Stefano, while born and raised in Argentina, became a naturalized Spanish citizen in 1956, making him eligible for the award. Luis Suarez won it off the back of a 1959-60 season where Barcelona won the Liga, made the quarterfinals of the Copa del Generalismo, made the semifinal of the European Cup, and won the Intercities Fairs Cup. He did this as an attacking midfielder on the left side for Orlando Herrera's Barcelona, a team that also included Lazo Kubala, Zoltan Zibor, Sander Kosius, Justo Tejada, Evaristo, and Ramon Villaverde. And of course, all of the players I just mentioned were attacking players, either forwards or attacking midfielders, so it was tough. You had to fight for your minutes. The odd thing was at the time when he was being considered as the best footballer in the world, the fans at the newly built Camp Nou had quite a strained relationship with the man from Acarunia, as they believed that Suarez and Kubala had a rivalry that required fans to pick a side. Feels a little like PSG in recent seasons, if you get my drift. The next season, he played his final match for FC Barcelona in the 3-2 European Cup loss to Benfica. After that match, he followed Herrera, who had already moved to Inter Milan to Italy, where he really cemented his legacy and arguably deserved the 1964 Ballon d'Or that was won by Dennis Law, more than the one that he actually won. When you talk about the all-time greats, it feels like every one of them revolutionized a position. And for the deep-lying playmaker, Luis Suarez did that. And while he wasn't honored for doing that, at least he was honored with the Ballon d'Or at all. Johan Cruyff was the next Barca player to win the award, winning his second and third Ballon d'Or awards in 1973 and 1974. 
He also placed third in 1975. Now, this is the first example when we're talking about a player getting honored with the award for achievements in another jersey. The 1973 trophy was won off the back of Ajax winning the Eredivisie in the 1972-73 season and Ajax winning their third straight European Cup. When he joined Barcelona in August of 1973 for a world record transfer fee, he was the hottest player on the planet. Then, as you might remember, the 73-74 season saw him lead Barcelona to their first Liga title in 14 years, crushing Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu 5-0. But more importantly than his work at Barcelona in 1974, the Netherlands also finished runners-up at the World Cup in West Germany, and he was named the player of the tournament. As is always a theme, whenever you question a player's Ballon d'Or, the first place to look is that year's big international competition. This is just me, but 1962, when Josep Masopust helped then Czechoslovakia to the 1962 World Cup final, Paolo Rossi in 1982, when he led Italy to the World Cup, and 2006, when Fabio Cannavaro helped Italy win the World Cup. Those three examples kind of jump off the page to me when I look up and down the names of winners. But Cruyff is no such name like that where I'm going to question international competition. His 1973 and 74 trophies went to the best player in the world in those years. Before we keep going, though, I do want to go back to the 1973 Ballon d'Or that Cruyff won as a member of the Blagrana, having made the transfer to Barcelona just a few months earlier. This is why Coulets argue that a large part of the reasons why Ronaldo, that being R9, and Luis Figo, did earn their Ballon d'Ors largely on the back of their accomplishments in Barcelona colors. Ronaldo won it in 1997 after the surprising move to Inter Milan. All questions can be directed at former president Josep Luis Nunez. But the momentum for him winning the award at the age of 20 was in full force by the time he made the move in the summer for an at-the-time world record fee. For the 96-97 season, R9 scored 47 goals in 49 games, helped Barcelona win the 97 UEFA Cup Winners' Cup and the 1996 Spanish Super Cup. He also won the European Golden Shoe, obviously topping the Liga's goal-scoring chart with 34 goals in 37 games. It's not that he didn't hit the ground running in Italy, though. He scored 25 Serie A goals in 97-98, winning the Serie A Footballer of the Year award. He was the best player in the world in 1997, even at his young age. And it was too bad he wasn't in a Barcelona shirt at the time that he got the award. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Pique and Puyol or Pique and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. 
Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough, and as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy and all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content, everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. As for the other guy, Luis Figo, 62 million euros in July of 2000, another world record fee at the time, well, you know the story. And if you don't, that's a video I've been sitting on for a few years in my drafts, as people who followed me for a while know. But regardless of what Kool-Aid think of him, he won the Ballon d'Or in 2000 over Juventus's Zinedine Zidane, who might have been the better player even at the time. It's actually kind of surprising too, because Zidane's France, punctuated by a penalty kick in extra time from Zidane, beat Figo's Portugal 2-1 the semifinals of Euro 2000, and went on to win the whole thing 2-1 in extra time against Italy. Social media didn't really exist back then, and that was a bit early for me to give much of a hoot about that award. So somebody else please fill me in why Figo would have won it over Zidane outside of a being the most talked about player of 2000 in going from Barcelona to Real Madrid in what is obviously a very controversial move, but was the biggest headline of 2000. But that's not what the Ballon d'Or is for. Let's shake off some of that controversy and go back to the players who won it in a Barcelona uniform. While I already mentioned that Romario almost certainly would have won the award, Romario did win the FIFA World Player of the Year award, having led Brazil to their fourth World Cup title in 1994 as the Golden Ball winner. For that award, he beat out Barca teammate Risto Storyskov and Italy's Roberto Baggio, who Romario beat in the World Cup final on penalties. So without him eligible, the 1994 Ballon d'Or list was Storyskov, Baggio, and Paolo Maldini, who probably deserved the Ballon d'Or somewhere in there. Yet, with Romario ineligible, Storyskov was still the right man for the trophy, unless you're a big Baggio fan. Stoichkov was part of the Barcelona team that in 1994 won their fourth straight La Liga, and at the World Cup, he won the Golden Boot for his six goals, the bronze ball for being the third best player at the tournament, and he took Bulgaria all the way to the semifinals, a place where they wouldn't have dreamed of without him. And maybe Stoichkov also deserved it for being the one who not only helped bring Romario to Barcelona, but also gets some credit for making sure the Brazilians' reputation of nocturnal fun didn't ruin their chances of winning, with Stoichkov credited with getting his fellow forward to training sessions on time. Storyskov, by the way, also finished second in 1992. A Brazilian at Barcelona did win the Ballon d'Or before the end of the decade, though, with Rivaldo squeezing out the vote over Manchester United's David Beckham and Milan's Andriy Shevchenko. When I say squeeze, though, that's the narrative, but Rivaldo got 219 votes to Beckham's 154 and Shevchenko's 64. 
I get the argument for Beckham, though. Manchester United, having won the Champions League in 1999, are remembered as being the best team around with all those academy graduates. But don't let history be forgotten. Having lost the group to Bayern Munich, a group that also included Rivaldo's Barcelona, Manchester United actually did the squeezing by. The 91st-minute goal from Teddy Sheringham and a 93rd-minute goal from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer overturning the 1-0 deficit to win the Champions League in probably the most sensational ending ever in that competition, taking place at the Camp Nou nonetheless. But there was also a lot of worthy talent in the United side. Roy Keane and Paul Scholes were arguably the most important players to that side. So that's the argument why Beckham doesn't have a Ballon d'Or. But the argument for why Rivaldo does have one is that he helped Barcelona to the Liga title, having finished second in the league with 24 goals, losing out to Raul by one goal. But his award also had something to do with the eye test. Peak Rivaldo was peak Brazilian striker for Barcelona, even if his name kind of gets lost between Romario, Ronaldinho, and even Neymar due to short memories. And speaking of Ronaldinho, this one is easy. Even though Barcelona didn't win that Champions League until 2006, 2005 Ronaldinho at Barcelona was the best player in the world. Barca won the Liga, a Liverpool team without a clear-cut Ballon d'Or candidate won the Champions League, though Steven Gerrard did finish third behind Ronaldinho and Frank Lampard, but Ronaldinho was at the peak of his powers, having finished third the year before. Again, the eye test is a real thing, and if you're of a generation that wasn't spending an ungodly amount of hours playing FIFA 06, you might need to reacquaint yourself what the Ronaldinho experience was all about. And finally, while he's not a Barcelona player and likely never will be again, Lionel Messi winning the Ballon d'Or as not a member of PSG still feels like a point of pride for Kool-Aid. I've yet to wrap my mind around a player for Inter Miami who are missing the MLS playoffs, and a player who crashed out with PSG from the Champions League last season winning the Ballon d'Or, but obviously it's all about Argentina winning the World Cup in the winter of 2022, which obviously means it falls under the 2022-23 season, and therefore the 2023 Ballon d'Or. I won't linger on the Messi point for too long, because you likely remember all of them, four straight from 2009 to 2012 when, yes, he was the best player in the world, and then 2015 after Barca's Champions League win, and again in 2019 when Barca fell to winners Liverpool in the semifinal, and the 2019 Copa America was the major international trophy that summer, though Argentina finished third and Messi had one goal in the tournament. Still, 2019, he was on top that year and everybody knew it. He won it again in 2021 with PSG, and there is a fair argument that Lewandowski almost deserved it for having clearly won the award in 2020, if not for the pandemic canceling the award altogether. Chelsea were on top of the mountain in 2021, so the fact that Jorginho finished third in the voting tells you a lot about the candidates in the season coming back from the pandemic. Messi has seven already, and that potential eighth will feel pretty untouchable for a long, long time. Even Pele, who as I mentioned, experts said probably deserves seven, still wouldn't have touched that hypothetical eight. The last thing to note is the number of Barca players that didn't win the award, but did finish in the top three. I already mentioned Cruyff finished third in 1975, Austrian forward Hans Krankel finished second in 1978, though he did move from Rapid Vienna to Barcelona in the summer, so another one of those halfway situations. Bernd Schuster placed second in 1980, though he moved from FC Köln to Barcelona in the summer, but he did finish third in 1981 as a Barcelona player. He again finished third as a Barcelona player in 1985, and it was Gary Lineker who moved from Everton in the summer of 1986, who finished second in 1986. Then it was the aforementioned Stoiskov's second place finish in 1992. Ronaldo, as a Barcelona player, finished second in 1996, though again he moved from PSV to Barcelona in the summer. 2004 saw Ronaldinho finish third, but it was Deco, mainly for his contributions as arguably the best player for the 2004 Champions League winning Porto side who moved to Barcelona in the summer, who finished second. Let's do the Messi stuff real quick and come back to the others. Messi finished third in 2007, second in 08. Second in 2013, second in 14, second in 2016, and second in 2017. Aside from him, Xavi finished third in 2009, 2010, and 2011. And that 2010 year was special because Andres Iniesta finished second, 
the only time when the top three were all from the same club. Iniesta also finished third in 2012. And finally, Neymar finished third in 2015. On the men's side of things, Barcelona players have won the Ballon d'Or 12 times with six players, tied with Real Madrid's 12 wins with eight players. However, for Barcelona, you should probably count the women's edition too, which brings their total to 14. Because switching gears to the women's side of things, the women's Ballon d'Or was long overdue, but was first awarded in 2018. Lucy Bronze, as a member of Lyon and current Barcelona player, was second in 2019, losing out by a wide margin to Megan Rapino after the U.S. won the World Cup. In 2021, hot off the heels of the 2020-21 treble, Alexi Buteus won her first, with Barca teammate Jenny Hermoso placing second. Alexia won the award again last season, obviously being the first player to win it in consecutive years on the women's side. For Aitana Banmani, she was nominated in both 2021 and 2022 for the award, but this would be her first time not only winning the award, but finishing in the top three. If Barca winning the Champions League didn't win her the award, Spain winning the World Cup certainly did the trick. I wouldn't be surprised if Mappy Leon, who very famously did not play for Spain at the World Cup alongside Patri, could still finish in the top three for the award. Yes, Mappy Leon at the back was that good last season. I was on the fence about going over the Copa Trophy, of which Pedri and Gabi have both won, or the Jared Muller Trophy, which Robert Lewandowski won for goals with both Barcelona and Barca last season, but I guess count that as me going over it by telling you that list of recently made trophies. Finally, let's finish out this show with a little Athletic Club preview. Xavi isn't making any excuses before Athletic Club, but I think I might. Caught up in the intense pressure of Europe and Shakhtar Donetsk midweek and then El Clasico afterwards, so many of the injury updates were in reference to El Clasico. But coming back from an international break where a lot less athletic club players were out on international duty, I don't care that this match is at home. Athletic Club is 5th right now on 17 points, which don't quote me on this, but at least feels like their best start in 9 match days in quite a while. The last time they finished that high was a 2015-16 season, so it's been a while. And other than getting dismantled 3-0 by rivals Real Sociedad, they've looked like exactly who you'd expect them to be under Ernesto Valverde. And just like Athletic Club do and have to do with their transfer policy of Basque players, they get more out of the sum of their parts than you'd expect. Last summer, so 2022, Gorka Gruzetta moved from SD Emmerbieta to Athletic Club on a free transfer. And last year wasn't great for him. Now this year, he's playing as a traditional big target striker, having scored four goals and allowed the Williams brothers to play off him coming from the wings and Oyen Sensa to play underneath him. Then the other six are just being asked to defend and anything they get out of a club legend like Iker Munian is a cherry on top. In the midfield, Ana Herrera is 34 and Danny Garcia is 33. So if you're Barcelona, you have to outwork them and win the midfield. We don't know exactly who's in the team for Barcelona, but it sounded like from Xavi that Enigo Martinez will start against his former side, with the other two center backs coming back from international duty and Koundé injured. Sergio Roberto also got injured and is out for a few weeks, so it looks like Cancelo is starting again. So I do feel like the lineup against Athletic Club will have the same feel that it did against Granada. Though, as I said, Inigo Martinez in for Christensen. I would expect Oro Romeu instead of Fermin Lopez. And probably Marcus Alonso coming in for Balde, who may not yet be 100%. Rumor has it that center forward Mark G, right back Hector Fort, and attacking midfielder Unai Hernandez will all get spots on the bench. But at 17, 17, and 18 years old, respectively, they are more of break glass in case of emergency bench spots than expecting them to play and contribute in the match. The last thing I'll say is that with everything I just laid out, I do have a pretty bad feeling about this match in particular. Actually worse than the Champions League or El Clasico. This is really a skeleton Barca first team right now, and Athletic Club are a tough side regularly. And they look like a better version of themselves this year. And Ernesto Valverde, that dude knows how to win in the Liga. So while dropping points shouldn't be accepted and will cause a ton of crying, it wouldn't be that surprising to me.
So now that I left you on a little bit of a sour note, you know what to do. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, at the Barcelona Pod for more of that sour content. Patreon, the Barcelona Podcast, of course. Thanks so much to all the Patreons who helped me keep making this show and even the new ones that are joining. While Patreon is kind of going through its own stuff and updating stuff and people have been really amenable to that. The Close Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast, answer the questions, I'll let you in. And of course, a good rating on the podcast apps and subscribing to the YouTube channel are the biggest ways to help me out at this time. Again, as I continue to look for sponsors and go through a bunch of different things behind the scenes. So I appreciate all of that. And as always, thanks for listening to the show. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Of course, the Barcelona. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com